0: already been alluded to this morning, if you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 19 and going through verse 29 this morning. We'll pick up where we left off last week in verse 19. Uh, The title of the message this morning is Unity of the Father and Son. Unity of the Father and Son. This is a, a... this is a tremendous passage that teaches us about the, uh, the, the inner working relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and how Christ in His incarnation has come and stepped into humanity. And then we see this, this this big technical term called functional subordination, but basically that Christ, God the Son, has subordinated Himself while He is here on earth in order to uh, serve and walk obediently to the Father and in order to mediate salvation for God's people. And so this morning I, I, I want us to see that Christ as mediator, the Son Himself, He, he sets out to achieve the objective of reconciling the world To the Father, that is Christ's redemptive objective is one in unity with the purpose of the Father. So we'll see that in the text this morning. But before we go any further, I I want us to begin by reading in John chapter five, verse 19. If you found your place, say amen. Follow along as I read. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Let us pray. Father, as we open your word and we have read your word this morning, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and our minds to comprehend the truth of your word. In our hearts, Father, to love the, the truth of your word, and now Lord speak to us, reveal uh, reveal sin in our life, reveal areas in our life where we need to surrender, reveal Father and fill us with joy as we uh, as we look into your word this morning we pray for your encouragement, we pray for your strength as we submit ourselves to you it's in Christ's name we pray amen <clears throat> In this passage, we must come to grips with really two, two realities. They are opposing realities. There's The fate of every human being really hangs in the balance on what John is communicating and what Jesus is communicating to us in this specific text. And that is to say, either believing in Christ are rejecting Christ. Those are the two realities, the two poles through which we are viewing this text this morning. And so the role of mediator is one that we see Jesus fulfilling in this passage. And so as we we look at this passage this morning will see Christ as the one who comes and, and mediates the the new covenant he's the one that comes and brings salvation the uh, brings the truth of salvation so that all who will believe in Christ might have eternal life. But as we think about and consider the role of a mediator, I would ask you to think to yourself, what is the role of a mediator today in in, in our modern day law system, what, or to avoid the courts, really, What what is the role of a, of a mediator? I think the role of a mediator is to settle dispute without having a judgment rendered so that the offended is recompensed and the offender escapes judgment. Now, there may be other nuances to such a definition, but if we worked with that Basic understanding of a mediator this morning, I I want to pose a scenario to you for a moment. Imagine that you were charged with committing a horrible crime and you are, in fact, guilty of committing this crime. But you think there's a chance that you can escape judgment. What you don't know is the offended party has conclusive evidence that incriminates you as the one who committed the crime. Now, the offended party wants justice. But unbeknownst to you, they secure a mediator to extend grace to you on two conditions. If you will meet these conditions of the grace that they're extending, they'll suffer the loss and they themselves will forgive you. First, you must truly repent of your crime. This is an enduring condition that, that can only be fulfilled through developing a relationship with the offended party for the rest of your life. The second condition or stipulation is that you must confess your guilt publicly. These are the two conditions that are brought before you by the mediator. I want to submit to you this morning that much like this hypothetical story, the dispute between God and man is real. It's a dispute that. That is caused by man's sinfulness. You see, man has offended holy God through sin. And scripture clearly teaches the just judgment of God upon man's sin is eternal condemnation under the wrath of God. Therefore, God, the son, by way of the incarnation, John 1, 1 and John 1, 14 in the prologue of John's gospel Jesus, God the Son, has become the mediator between God and, and man for, for all who believe, and he is the judge of man for all who reject him. We see this evidence that other places in Scripture, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God, speaking of the work of Christ. And then in first Timothy two five, Paul says this, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, he is the he is the mediator between God and men. Christ is the one who, who mediates this, this relationship between God and men. In Hebrews chapter nine, verse fifteen it says for this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal life. And so this morning, I I want us to look into this passage, and I want us to see how the Son mediates between the Father and humanity. God the Son mediates between creation, you and and I, and God the Father. He is the one who stands in between, and He goes before the Father on our behalf. He is the one who has come down in the incarnation, and He has made a way for us to have salvation through Him and to have eternal life. And so the the Son mediates between the Father and humanity. But I don't want you to think I'm just pulling this out of the air. I want you to look in verse 24 and, and see where this is coming from. In verse 24, John writes, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. You see, we pass out of death and into life through Christ. And those who believe on Christ, Christ, believe on the one whom he has sent, that's God, the one whom he has sent, Christ, and hears his word, he has eternal life and doesn't come into judgment. Instead, because of believing on him and hearing his word, he has passed out of death into life. And you see, Christ mediates this eternal life. He is the one who comes and he, he mediates eternal life to all those who believe in, in God and, and hear the words of Christ. And so verse 24 really is a central text for the passage this morning. If you recall from last week, what's going on in this passage is the religious leaders, they they come and they charge Jesus basically with two crimes from verses 16 through 18. And the two crimes are this. First, he's healed a lame man. And in healing of this lame man, he he has commanded him to pick up his mat and go. Now, the problem wasn't that he healed the lame man. The problem was that he did it on the Sabbath. Because he did it on the Sabbath, they charged him with being a lawbreaker as one who was working on the Sabbath, and this was against tradition. In fact, not only did he heal on the Sabbath, he told this man to get up and pick up his mat and carry it on the Sabbath. But when they came and began questioning Jesus about it, in verse 17, he answered them and he said, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And without going back and, and rehashing that and, and unpacking what Christ is saying in that phrase, what he's telling them is he is equal with God. Because God the Father doesn't, doesn't slumber or sleep or he continues to work on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I myself continue to work on the Sabbath. And we'll see in this passage why he says that. He says, I can only do what I, what I see my Father doing. And so what do they charge him with? They charge him secondly with blasphemy is claimed to be equal with God. How dare this man claim to be equal with God? These are serious charges that they bring against him. But in verses 19 through 24, Jesus highlights his unique role as mediator between God and humanity. First, in verse 19, we see that there's unity between the Father and Son, which is exemplified through works. The unity between the Father and Son is exemplified through works. Instead of denying these charges, Jesus responds very adamantly. He responds with the strongest language possible by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is strong language. When he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he's calling attention to what is about to be spoken and come from his mouth. In fact, Jesus here is stressing that he is only able to do what he sees the Father doing. In fact, he's saying he can do nothing else. He he can't act of himself. He, He can only act in concert with what he sees the Father doing because he and the Father are united in their work. They are of the same mind and the same essence. And so he says, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the father doing. Now notice he doesn't say the son won't do anything. He says the son can't do anything else. He he cannot do anything else. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Why? This is that balance, that relationship in, in, in the Trinity and between God the father and God the son where there is this, this fleshing out of the will of God On earth as Christ himself, God, the son steps down in the incarnation. But there is also a oneness and a unity in in the 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 will, carrying out the will of God, the father. And Christ himself is the one who is the preeminent model and carries out obediently, perfectly the will of the father. So first, Jesus stresses that he is only able to do what he sees the father doing. But secondly, Jesus is claiming, here's what he's claiming, that the work and activity of the Son, that's himself, speaking of himself, the work and activity of the Son are one and the same with the work and the activity of the Father. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in a like manner. In other words, what's Jesus claiming? When I healed that man on the Sabbath, that was the work of God. When I told him to take up his mat and carry it, I'm speaking the words of God. This is why they wanted to kill him in verse 18. It says it there. They were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. What this means is that Jesus' work reveals the very expression of God the Father. The very expression of God the Father is seen through the, very, through the healing that Christ does when He, when he, he touches a, a person and, and heals them, or when He speaks to a person and offers them eternal life. These, these are the words of the Father being spoken through Christ the Son. There's a third implication here in verse 19 in the work that Christ is doing, the unity between the Father and the Son. And, and I think we kind of we kind of see it in the, the macro picture of what Christ is doing in his mission. And that is to say that Jesus brings the kingdom of God to earth. And so when he prays in Matthew six, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is bringing the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven to earth for whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. D.A. Carson talks about this as being his perfect sonship. True sonship is found in in perfect obedience. Carson says this perfect sonship involves perfect identity of will and action with the father. Therefore, self-determined separate action of God's will and work would be a denial of his sonship. In other words, for Jesus to do anything... Other than what the Father does, he would be acting in contradiction to the Father's will. That's that's what he's saying here. If he refused to heal this man on the Sabbath, he, he would have been acting in contradiction to the Father's will. And to, to this, Jesus says, The Son can do nothing of Himself. Church, my, my prayer. For us as we as we look at this passage and even see in verse nineteen, my prayer for us is that we would have such a heart for the work of God in and through our lives. I want us to make this connection here self determined separate action is a denial of uh, it would be a denial of Christ's identity and, and the will, identity with the Father and, and, his, and carrying out the will of the Father. So should we see that self-determined, separate action from the will of God is a denial of our being the sons and daughters of the Father. When we go through our day-to-day lives in the mundane activity of everyday life, when we, when we walk through our daily lives, if we are walking in self-determination or self-sufficiency and not walking by the Spirit, it is a rejection of God's work in our life. And it is a, a walking outside of the will of the Father. Self-determined, separate action is, is a denial of, of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. When we, we would quench the Holy Spirit... You see what Christ is saying here? He's saying that if, if I don't act in a way consistent with the will of God and will of the Father, then I'm, I'm not acting as God himself. I, I'm not acting in the way that, that God would have me. I'm not living in a way that carries out the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is saying that unity between the Father and Son is experienced or is exemplified rather through the works that he accomplishes, but not only is unity exemplified through the works that Christ accomplishes or does. Unity between the Father and Son is also exemplified through love. We see this in verse twenty, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that He Himself is doing. What Jesus is saying here is that the the love The father's love for the son is the basis for all of his activity. For everything that he does, God's love is the foundation and the basis for it. And here we see the reciprocal relationship between the father and the son. Because of the father's love for the son, he shows him all things. And the son lives with complete obedience and complete dependence to the father. And so it is the love of God for the father loves the son. And then he says the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. See, in Jesus, the father is working because Jesus's actions are the father's actions. That's why Christ is, is saying this. That's why he's he's telling them this as they've come and charged him with being a blasphemer, with being a lawbreaker. He's saying that the very actions he does are the actions of God the Father. In 1 John 4.10, John writes, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, the love of God is reciprocated through the Son's perfect obedience and the Father's perfect and full disclosure And when he says, greater works than these, I will show you, or the Father will show you, so that you will marvel. He's speaking about giving of life, and he's speaking about raising of Lazarus from the dead, that which comes in in John chapter 11. He himself, he's speaking about his defeating of sin and death and, and rising from the dead. He's speaking about sending the Holy Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance and and God's continued work in the world through believers for the spread of God's kingdom. Greater works than these you will do. And that has huge implications for you and I today as we consider the greater works that Christ is speaking about and the spreading of, of God's kingdom as we see Christ the exemplar, the model of one who would walk perfectly, obediently with the Father, showing the love of the Father. And it is through our walking in in obedience and and walking in fellowship with the Father that we show God the love that we have for God the Father. And it's through walking in close fellowship with God the Father that we experience the love of God. Jesus then becomes the The model of perfect, full obedience to God the Father through which he calls every believer to walk as disciples. We also see in verse 21 that Jesus is given authority. He has has authority as the life giver. He has authority as life giver. In verse 19, Jesus said he can do nothing of his own initiative. But furthermore, here we see the divine side of the father son interaction that the son's will pleasure and choices are at one with the father so that the perfect unity of god's nature and essence are reflected in the authority endowed in the son and so we see the work and the will of god coming through the relationship with the son for not even or for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Listen, this is a sovereign statement by Christ. And it distinguishes him from all prophets and, and every man. No man, no man can give life. But Christ himself says he gives life to whom he wishes. No man can make such a claim so, his claim is significant. Jesus is claiming that he is the giver of life in the same manner that God breathed life into Adam in Genesis chapter 2, 7. And he'll display his power to give physical life through the resurrection of Lazarus and ultimately through his own resurrection from death. And so, there are two realities that Jesus is speaking about here in verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life. The first one is an eschatological authority with which Jesus is referencing. That on the last day, when, when He comes back and he, he calls forth everyone in the grave, that there will be a resurrection, that, that the dead will come forth, they will be raised But secondly, there's a spiritual life that he's speaking about, which is the immediate life. For just as the father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the son gives life to whom he wishes. For our practical day-to-day lives, this giving of life that Christ brings, this is exactly what Jesus was offering to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And it's this power of the gospel, Jesus offering living water. He gives hope and eternal purpose to our everyday activity in life. And so this offer of life that Jesus is speaking of, the the fact that he has authority to give life to whom he wishes is significant in telling us that he himself is the one who grants eternal life. But not only does he have authority to give life, he also has authority to judge. Jesus is the one who gives life, but he is also the one who judges. And if the giving of life that he brings is based upon the hearing and the believing of his word, then the judgment that he renders is based upon the hearing and the believing of his word. As one who has the prerogative to give life to whom he wishes, Jesus says the Father has entrusted all judgment to him as well. And the reason is so that all will honor the Son as they honor the Father. And so when, when we appear before a judge, here's the question, when we appear before a judge, we go before this judge and this judge is about to issue a sentence on, our li- on my life. I submit to you that I I don't want to dishonor the judge that's about to render a sentence on my life. I think we would all probably say the same thing this morning. There's great value attached to honoring the one who holds the judgment over your life in his hands. And so in verse 23, he says, so that all will honor the son even as they honor the Father." He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Do you see the connectedness here? Jesus is saying, if you dishonor me, you dishonor the Father. The other side of that is when we honor Christ, we honor the Father. When we glorify the Son, we glorify the Father. When we praise Christ, we praise God the Father. And if we do not glorify the Son, then we fail to glorify the Father. And consequently there's only one way to glorify the Father. And that's through Jesus Christ the Son. The way that we praise and honor and glorify God. Is to believe upon, upon him. The, upon the one whom God has sent. Christ Jesus. We do that by believing upon his word. And believing in the one who sent him. So what does it mean to hear and believe, as he says in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me, what does it mean to hear then and to believe? Well, it it means to trust in the word and the work of Christ as the only means of salvation. There is no other means of salvation. And it means to have faith in God through Christ's mediating work. This is the work that Christ has come to do. To grant eternal life to all those who will hear and believe upon him. And those who hear and believe, Jesus mediates the gift of God to them. Eternal life. Here's why. So that they pass out of judgment into life. But get this. Those who reject Christ... Jesus is not their mediator of the new covenant. Jesus is their judge. And the real challenge that we face today is, do we believe Jesus for who he says he is according to Scripture? When we look at God's word, do, are, are we believing Jesus according to what he says and who he reveals himself to be? When we preach Christ today, or is it that we're preaching the Christ of Scripture With our lives, are we preaching the Christ of Scripture? With our actions, with our words, are we preaching the Christ of Scripture? Or are we preaching a Christ that allows us to live any way we want, do whatever we want, but then show up at church on Sunday to pay our dues? Are we believing in a Christ that gives us what we want and gives us comfortable religion? Or are we believing in a Christ who has called us to to believe upon the mediating work that He has accomplished through giving His life on the cross to bring salvation, to to give righteousness to all those who believe in Him, to do that work of mediation so so that when we come before God, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and not clothed in our own sin. You see, what Christ comes and offers is this mediating work of salvation, eternal life. You know, this impacts, I, this impacts every area of our lives. Everything we do is impacted by the mediating work of Christ. Christ gives hope for us in life. He, he gives us hope in everything. He comes into our everyday life and replaces the mundane activity like he did for the Samaritan woman. And he transforms us. He gives us hope. He, he gives us his spirit. And his spirit dwells within us. And, and we, we, we ought to be living in such a way that we're seeking to, to know God's design, God's direction in, in everyday life. And we derive our hope and our purpose from Christ Not from the things we do or the places we go or the things that we engage in. And so those who hear and believe Jesus is the mediator of eternal life to them. And they pass out of judgment and out of death into life. But those who reject Christ, he is not the mediator, but he is the judge. And so I want to ask the practical question. What are the implications of Christ as mediator? For our lives. What are the implications of Christ? As We've seen how Christ is mediator. We've seen how he is uh, equal with the father. And he acts reciprocally with the father. And there is a love between he and the father. And the actions of Christ are the same as the actions of God. Uh, and God works through Christ. And Christ can only do what he sees the father doing. But what are those implications now for our lives? Christ is mediator. And I think we see that in verses 25 through Twenty-nine. Again, Jesus begins verse 25 with the words, Truly, truly, I say to you, that is, this is an important statement, an hour is coming. The first implication that we see of Christ as mediator for our lives is that there are hope, there's hope for all who hear. There's hope for all who hear. In verse 25, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Here's the call of, of, of the gospel. You hear the voice of the Son of God and, and those who hear will live. Uh, first, it's, it, he says there's a time coming or a time is coming. Literally an hour, an appointed time is coming. And what he's saying here is he's looking to the physical bodily resurrection where our bodies will be raised and those who are physically dead will hear the voice of Christ and they will come forward from the grave. They will be given up from the sea. This is really going to happen one day. At the appointed time, this is going to happen. 1 Thessalonians four fourteen through 16 speaks of this resurrection or this coming forward for if we believe that jesus died and rose again even so god will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in jesus for this we say to you by the word of the lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout listen with the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. and We'll meet him in the air. This is what will happen. And when Christ says an hour is coming, there is an appointed time when this will happen. And all who have, who have gone to sleep in Christ before his return, they will, be, they will respond to the voice of God. And their dead, lifeless bodies will rise. But secondly... Secondly, he says a time is coming and now is and now is that that speaks to the present day that speaks to here and now that speaks to today. The implication of Christ as mediator is that there is life being offered today, now, right now. Those who have ears to hear, they will be called out of their spiritual deadness in that condition that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 speaks about, where it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and that we have offended holy God. This deadness, Christ calls us out of darkness and brings us into light. John says it that way in in his prologue in John 1 through 18. He calls us out of darkness into light. You see, those who have ears to hear, they will hear. And They will be called out of death into spiritual life. There's hope for all who hear. There's hope for all who hear the word of God and believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe in God whom he has sent. Second implication that we see for Christ as mediator. Jesus has authority to give life and to execute judgment. We've looked at that already in this passage. But in verse 26 and 27, we see that Jesus' authority to give life and execute judgment is granted him by the Father. That is to say that God the Father has given Jesus the authority to extend life or give life to whomever he wishes. And he's also, because he has the authority to give life, he also has the authority to execute judgment. Because Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus manifests the power of his word, and he mediates a new covenant so that all who believe in him will have life. And for those who believe in him, they will not come into judgment. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who have surrendered their lives to Christ and have believed upon Christ. His authority to execute judgment, it says it's because in verse uh, 27, he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man It is a reference to his apocalyptic fulfillment, that of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, speaking of of the Son of Man who will come and who will exercise and execute judgment. But also because he he belongs to humanity. That is, Jesus encountered humanity and, and walked where we have walked. And so in the one who can exercise judgment, he is one who can identify with us as our great high priest, one who has walked as we have walked. Jesus is also clear that all who reject him will suffer judgment, for the judgment of Christ is linked with the revelation of Christ. Christ judges those who have rejected the revelation of who he is. And so I think the last implication we see of the the mediating work of christ is in verses 28 and 29 and that is there will be two resurrections two resurrections look at verse 28 and 29 do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice notice he didn't say "and is now Or now is, he just said an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I I, I don't want us to get caught up thinking that John here is affirming a a works based salvation that those who did good things come to a resurrection of life and they go to heaven and those who did evil a resurrection of judgment and they go to hell he's not advocating a works based salvation instead if we look in the context of what John has been uh, has been communicating and teaching throughout we see back in John chapter three verse twenty one Where he says, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Those things which have been birthed in God, those good deeds that the believer, that the one who is trusting and walking as a disciple of Christ, those good deeds that he has done have been birthed and wrought in God. This is what Jesus is referencing in chapter 5, verse 28, when he says, do not marvel At this time that an hour is coming in verse 29. Those who did the good deeds to resurrection of life. This is why it's important that as we walk through scripture. We we walk through and we see contextually what Jesus is saying. What the gospel of John is saying. And so he's saying that those who practice truth come to the light. Because their deeds have been wrought in the light. And these are the ones who will be resurrected to life. But consequently, there are also those who will be resurrected to judgment. He says these are the ones who have committed evil deeds. Well, John chapter three, verse 19 says this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. You see what Jesus is saying here is those who have come to the light and walked in the light and manifested the goodness of being a child of God, a child of light. Those are the ones who have life. Those are the ones who will be coming to the resurrection of, of life, but yet those who have rejected Christ and remained in darkness because the light was difficult, they, they are the ones who will experience the judgment for the evil deeds Ultimately the most evil deed is the rejection of Christ see the reality is God has conclusive evidence against each of us he has conclusive evidence against each one of us and the evidence he has is stro- so strong that it convicts us of sin and we are uh, we are dealt a deathly blow and the result of what we deserve is the judgment of God but Christ himself has come as the one who mediates the new covenant. He has come as the one who who gives life. He has come as the one who calls us to experience life. And while there certainly is an end time coming, the question about right now, where are you right now when it comes to eternal life with Christ? As we stand before God the Father and Jesus the Son, and He will one day judge us, will we be, will we be the ones who, whose deeds have been wrought in God, where we have come to the light and we have experienced the life of Christ, or will be the one who has rejected Christ and rejected anything to do with Christ so that we are being resurrected to a resurrection of judgment? I pray this morning that each of us will have a moment to just spend time before the Lord, evaluating our own lives, confessing sin that's in our life, confessing our, our need for Christ and His work of mediating this new covenant that we might have life in Him, that we might experience life and not death. For the time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not a year from now. It's, it's now. And so I want to do something that we don't do every Sunday. I, I want to offer just a time for you to come forward and, and just spend time praying before the Lord. I want to offer you a time this morning to rejoice in God's goodness and the work and the provision that he has done in, in saving your soul. And so if that's you this morning, praise the Lord for what he has done in your life. But maybe this morning you've realized that you you don't have the life, the promised life that Christ has, has offered, that the mediating work of Christ has come for And maybe this morning, that's where you need to begin surrendering your life to Christ. I'll be down here in front to pray with you. If you would like someone to pray with you about what it means to trust Christ as Savior and surrender your life to him. Um, I'm going to pray now. And then the worship team will begin playing. And you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the unity that we see Between you and the Son. Thank you Lord Jesus for the salvation that you have given us. And how you have come to give life. And you have the authority to give life. And you give life to whomever you wish. And so Lord we pray this morning that anyone here would have ears to hear. That Lord you would call them out of darkness into life. Lord that you would give them um, strength to respond as you call Lord, for each of us, as we consider our own hearts before you, as we consider what it means to walk in you and to follow you, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Lord, that you would lead us in all truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?